Hello and welcome to Odds and Evenings, a podcast about mathematics, puzzles, numbers and games. Uh, I'm a little bit ill, sound a little bit funny, but it's better than last week. Uh, my name is Alex. Uh, with me is Alaric. Hello. Hello. Uh, so why is this episode out so soon, Alex? Because uh, we, we wanted to. Uh, so this is obviously the apology episode for our poor quality of audio last, last week. I refuse. You get a bonus episode because of it. I refuse Yay. to apologise. It's not really a bonus episode because the next one will be after this one should be in two weeks so it's like we just brought it forward a little bit hmm. but then we also skipped one of them a while back so it's whatever i'm not drinking this time oh i am you are okay We've We've got GNT. <laughs> GNT. a nice a nice uh totally the evening gnt i've been up for since 4am i've had quite a productive day wow so you've been awake for 18 hours um yep yeah <laughs> No, I've been up for a long time. Um, I've read a lot of maths articles. I've gone for a run. I'm feeling productive. Hmm. I'm. I've, uh, this. I'm, uh, I'm. I've decided to get rid of my beer belly, so uh, I am on caloric restriction, which means much less drinking. Um, mm. But the nice thing about it is I'm learning to do my BMI in my head, and so my height is 1.778 meters. Yeah. And so I take my whatever my weight is and I divide it by that. Um, and actually, it was very heartening. I got scales um, for the first time yesterday. Yep. And uh, I am within acceptable boundary of weight. But I, um, I got a balance um, about a month ago for the first time. Oh, nice. Hmm. Uh, what do you mean by balance? Is it is it a mechanical oh, one? No, it's an electronic one. Okay. But I remember being told off using the scales in physics A-level, and I can't remember the um, when to use which one. Right. I remember balance being the safe one. Right, yes. Because one of them measures weight and one of them measures mass. Um, yep. So Which, the, for most practical circumstances, is the same thing. Yes, but if you take your electronic scales to the moon, they're not going to work. Um, yep. But if you take your mechanical scales to the moon, they will. No. Wait, it depends. So, here we go. Uh, if it's <laughs> spring-based, it will not work on the moon. But if yep. it's your old-fashioned, put some weight on one side, put some weight on the other... Yes. Uh, that isn't actually measuring weight. That is measuring mass because the the the, the gravity factor in the in the force cancels out. I'm not aware of any scales for measuring humans that work in that kind of classic scales with both sides things. But I'd like to imagine that out there somewhere, some gym in their foyer has a massive one. Yeah, with a whole collection of like Tower of Hanoi weights. Because gravity is is very slightly different at different places on Earth. If you're yeah. in uh, Colorado. It's you a little lighter weight-wise because it's higher. It makes a significant difference to some things. So in Olympics, the place which has been furthest away from the equator that the Olympics has been held compared with the place that was the closest, i.e. the place which had the uh, the lowest gravity acting on people, for pole vaulting makes about a three centimetres difference. Oh, wow. Yeah. That would also probably make difference to the, uh, the runners. Because the amount of friction you can generate is based on your downward force. Yeah. Um, which is why it's super hard to walk underwater. To like, Firstly, you've got liquid underneath your feet, so it's a bit slippy. But also, you can't really get a lot of grip because you're lighter. Unless you have some enchanted diamond boots. Unless you, unless you are a depth strider like me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, good, right. So, um, this is a show about mathematics. So, how about it? Okay. Cool. Have you ever heard of the moving sofa problem? Absolutely, yes. Really? Yeah, I love it. Oh, cool. 
<laughs> cool. Um, right, so, to the listeners, the idea is, if you were trying to get a sofa down the corridor, and there was a turn in the corridor, there would be a biggest sofa that you'd be able to physically get round, if you, like, wrangled it some way. Imagine that episode of Friends where they're trying to get it up the stairs, mm. and you're kind of pivoting it. Yeah. So, imagine we abstracted it to a 2D problem, so you were looking bird's eye view onto a corridor, which was an L shape. The problem is, what's the biggest 2D shape, biggest by area, that you could move along the corridor and manage to turn it so that it would get around the turn, down to the other bit of the corridor? It doesn't have to be anything sofa-shaped. What what we're looking for here is just the biggest possible shape that you can get around. But the nice thing is that they actually do end up looking a bit sofa-shaped, the good solutions. Hmm. Well, I've I've seen the sofas in your house. Yeah, that they are not this shape. Well, yeah, they're rectangular, but you know, live a little. <laughs> Think about that. <laughs> <laughs> they're sort of they you know they they kind of look like if you if you cut the bottom of a sofa and you just had the top bit that goes sort of round. They're kind of C shaped. A lot of these things. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's like the inside of the sea is the bit which uh, clings onto the corner. Uh, I've I've seen it described as like a, an old-fashioned telephone sort of shape. Yes. So it's kind of got a thin, long bit in the middle, and then at the top and the bottom it has the kind of like more clumps where a lot of the area is contained. Yeah. It's actually an unsolved problem still. We've got bounds on it, we've got an upper and lower bound, and we've got some things which all of the top solutions all look pretty similar to each other. But finding the exact solution is, is something that's been open for about 50 years. Yeah, I mean, is it really the kind of thing you can prove? Well, in a minute we're going to prove uh, a simpler case of this sort of thing. And okay. we're trying to minimise or maximise something. And the way that you prove that is with calculus. Oh, sure. So, finding stationary points and things. So, it, I mean, it's, it's well-defined enough as a problem. It seems like it has a solution. There is a bigger shape. There will be... Or a, a collection of shapes with possibly the same shapes area. with the same area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, th- there's also the ambidextrous sofa problem, where you're trying to turn a right-hand corner and then turn a left-hand corner. Those look a bit like a figure of eight on its side. So in the same way that the C has the inside of the C clinging onto the corner, the figure of eight has like a narrow waist which clings onto the inside of the corners. Yeah. Um, it's similarly unsolved. A little less sofa-looking. Yeah. It looks like two sleep pods attached to each other. Slightly pointy at each end. It's a sleep pod problem. What I thought we could have a go at is, instead of a 2D shape, what's the longest line we could get around a corner? Mm. And to uh, the listeners, because I don't think we've appropriately defined this, um, these corridors are of unit width. Um, yeah. And imagine two corridors of unit width intersecting to the point where the where the corner that they meet in has, has a unit square. Yeah. So you've got a one metre corridor in width. It gets to this one meter by one meter square and then coming off at right angles to that is another one meter width yeah so let's have a 1d line with no thickness to it uh, we're carrying a pole around a corner this isn't actually the longest pole that we'd be able to get around because in real life you wouldn't be keeping it in 2d you wouldn't be keeping it in the plane parallel to the floor yes but it's not much harder because the final length would just be the length of this plus uh, the length of this uh, squared plus one square rooted. Yes, the Pythagoras of it. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I might get a notepad out for this one. Should I do the same? Um, you don't have to. 
than I wanted. We're going to attempt to uh, describe it enough so the listeners can follow along. Yeah. It's going to get a bit of geometry. At least, I, you know what, this is good protocol. At least one of us should not have paper in front of us. Yeah. And I humbly volunteer to be that individual. So I'm drawing out a, a kind of right ankle corridor. So I've got a pole. It's clinging onto the corner. And I'm going to call the length of the pole from the vertex to one of its ends, L1, and from the vertex to the other end, L2. I'm splitting it into two equal pieces. Okay. I've got it at some general angle here, theta. Yep. And I'm drawing a whole lot of right angle triangles on it. Yep. Um, I've got a whole lot of ones around, because I've got a width one on yep. the corridor. Yep. Um, and the total length is just L1 plus L2. It's just adding the two bits together. Okay. So, I've got the length here is 1 over sine theta plus 1 over cos theta. Now, I'm, I'm putting quite a lot of labour into this, because I think we both know what the solution's going to be. Yeah. But what I'm thinking about is, if I can set it up, um, all of the mechanism here, then possibly we could do the example where the corridors aren't the same width. Ah. Uh, we could do, like, a width A and a width B. Yeah. And it won't change that much in my calculation. I can just pop in A's and B's along the way. Yeah. But this will be a good sanity check on it. Sure. So I've got L is uh, 1 over sine theta plus 1 over cos theta. I'm trying to find the minimum of that, so I'm going to differentiate it, find the stationary points. What do you get when you differentiate sec and cosec? Um, question rule it, shall we? So we've got uh, something over something. So 1 over sine goes to cos over sine squared, and then 1 over cos goes to minus sine over cos squared. Cos over sine squared. What's that, like, cot cosec? Uh, I'm putting equal to zero, so I'm not going to worry about it too much. Right. I'm going to times through by a whole lot of sine squares and cos squares. Sure. So I've got cos cubed theta minus sine cubed theta equals zero. Uh, I'm going to take out some... I'm going to factorise that difference. Oh, that's not squares. We're factorising cos cubed theta minus sine cubed theta. Cos cubed theta minus sine cubed theta. <laughs> Good luck. That's... Cos minus sine as a factor, and then I think it's cos squared plus cos sine plus sine squared equals zero. But sine squared plus cos squared equals one. Yep. That's the same as one plus sine theta cos theta equals zero. Yes. Um, sine theta times cos theta, we could write that as a half sine two theta. Yep. So we get sine two theta equals minus two. Yep. Which is never true. Oops. Maybe instead we could talk about these in terms of um, tan feeders. So if we go back to the original thing, we've got a cos over a sine. It's actually cos over sine squared. But cos over sine, that's 1 over tan feeder. And then the other one, we've got a sine over cos squared. Well, a sine over cos is tan. Yeah. So we've got tan over cos. I'm going to times through by tan, I think. So I've got 1 over sine theta minus tan squared. I'm, I'm aiming for just loads of tans in this. Okay, I'm going to times through by sine theta. I've got 1 minus tan squared theta sine theta over cos theta. Well, sine theta over cos theta is another tan. So it's 1 minus tan cubed theta equals 0. This looks like it's going to actually have solutions. Yes. So 1 equals tan cubed theta. Yep. So tan theta uh, is cube root of 1, which is 1. So tan theta equals... Oh, well, theta equals... When does tan equal 1? It's 45. Yeah. Which is what we wanted. Yes. 
Cool. So, at 45 degrees, we get the maximum length of rod. Yep. What length does it give? Two root two. Hey. Hooray. Yeah. We've got two little uh, one one root two triangles in. Yeah. If we go to the extension of that, with the two widths of corridor, width A and width B. So they, it's like you have a wide a wide corridor and a narrower corridor relative to each other. Doesn't matter which way around. Yes. Will this will this always be at forty five degrees? I, uh, before I do any maths on it, I mean, I'm I'm just trying to take it to extremes and see if that seems likely. Well, at its extreme, when one of them is zero width and one of them is one, that's one of the extremes. Well, at some point, it always has to be at forty five degrees. That's the point here, right? Yeah. But oh, is, I see what but you mean. Is, is, is the, the shortest width is the minimum at forty five degrees, and when one of them is incredibly, incredibly small, I don't think it is. No, I don't think it is either. So going through, if we just see where that changes, our differentiated form is now a cos theta over sine squared theta minus b sine theta over cos squared theta. So it's pretty much what we had before, but with an a in front of one of the terms and b in front of the other. Mm-hmm. So I can do exactly the same process as before. Yep. And so when we got it down to 1 minus tan cubed theta equals 0, that's now a minus b tan cubed theta equals 0. So tan cubed theta equals a over b. Yeah. So tan theta is the cube root of a over b. Yep, that's it. So as the ratio between a and b increases, as a overwhelms b, the angle at which the rod is smallest is closest to 90 degrees, and as b overwhelms a... It's the other way around. It gets closer to zero, which means closer to vertical. It looks like we're not going to get a nice closed form for the actual length of these things with that. Why not? It just looks messy. Well, do you, you just have arc ten cube root a over b. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's still closed oh. form. It's just not. It's just not. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's not pleasing. Well, when what, you have what is trig it? of arc trig. Trig of arc trig. I mean that, that that's messy. What we want is something with just a whole lot of trig in it. Well, what what would the answer be at, if, at that point if it's a over sine of arctan cube, cube root of a over b, b plus b of cos of that same horrible angle? Nice, good work. <laughs> we got there. You discovered a monstrosity <laughs> that gives you the right answer. I thought we could talk about some related problems. Some of them are quite famous. Okay, they're all on this kind of like turning something. In minimum distance, yeah, or minimum volume or yeah. minimum area. Yeah. Um, so one of the famous ones, uh, Japanese word here, kakeya. So kakeya's needle. The idea is: imagine you have a rod which is one meter long. So again, let's do it one day. Let's say it has no width. What's the smallest area that you could turn it around in? So imagine you drew a shape on the page, and then you had a needle. And you were trying to slowly turn it around, a bit like a car doing a three-point turn or something. Yeah. Until it's gone a whole 360 turn. Yeah. What's the minimum area that the um, the shape it's in could be? A circle. Yeah. So a circle is the first one where it that like makes an upper bound. Because if it's a circle, imagine you have the needle as a diameter, then you just twist it around. You yeah. don't have to do any back and forths. And so you're saying like, oh, well, what if it's a triangle? And what if it's a... What if it's a square? And so on. Yeah, go with the triangle thing. Well, it sounds to me like this is always just going to be the regular form of that polygon. What we're trying to do here is find the smallest shape by area that it can turn around in. So the circle is true. But imagine you you had a, you took a bit of a chunk out of the circle. You could probably still turn it around. Mm. Why? No, you wouldn't be able to with a circle. 
Okay, here's the inspiration. Think about a triangle. Imagine, like, the Deathly Hallows. So you've got an equilateral triangle. Yeah. And you've got, like, the Elder Wand vertically from the top point to the middle of the other base. Yeah. Imagine trying to turn the Elder Wand around inside the, the triangle. Okay. You could take the bottom of the wand, the rod, yeah, to the right-hand corner, and then you could swing the top of the ro- wand around. Oh, right, yes, one point isn't fixed. Yeah. So you get the squircles. Yeah, you get that kind of thing. With the equilateral triangle, you can f- spin around something which is its height in it by doing, actually, just a three-point turn. Uh, yeah, and you could probably do something a little longer. No, you yeah. couldn't. No, 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 you're, you're, you're limited by the distance from one corner to the other end. That's the longest thing you could turn around. But some of the area you don't have to use in that triangle. Um, I don't believe you. Hmm. No, no, that isn't true. But by making the, the triangle slightly longer, imagine you brought in the sides a bit to be concave. Right, then you could probably, yeah, you could probably swing it around like that. We'll put links on the show notes here, and there are some ni- nice gifts of um, this happening. The equilateral triangle does end up being the best uh, convex solution. But once you start bringing in the sides, imagine a, almost a triangle, but the sides are buckling in on each of them. Yeah. It's almost just curving its way, the needle is curving its way around to the next point. Yep. As it does its three-point turn. Yep. You can keep kind of iterating these things. And you can uh, make some truly horrific things. If you have it so it's doing not just three point turn, but a many point turn, you can make this have a very small area. These things end up looking a bit fractally. Are these catenary curves? One of them is. So the one which was the triangle but with the um, the sides brought in, the first uh, concave one, that's deltoid. We brought up deltoids in the past. Yes. I'm going to send you a picture here and then maybe you can describe it. This is wacky stuff. I know, right? What? Okay. It kind of <laughs> looks like a um, like a sea slug. Um, or some kind <laughs> of underwater animal. Uh, it's a triangle with a, real, a bunch of spikes sticking out of it. They're kind of alternating between... Oh, goodness me. Okay, so imagine a triangle. And then imagine a top of a leak coming out of the top. And of each corner, there's like... Oh, good description, Alex. From the sides, on the sides, it's a bit like a... Um, urchin? An urchin, yeah. Looks a bit like a sea urchin. So Essentially what, is what we have here is a, an equilateral triangle with a whole lot of points sticking out of it. Yeah. Those points are where oh. you rest the end of a needle as you slowly turn around the other end of it. Yeah. Which then fits into another point. And it's just like slowly slots itself around. Yeah. And this tends towards the maximum here. Like it's got it's got a tiny area. But these things you can kind of keep zooming in and make a fractal. And it's it's just one of those surprising results. If you get rid of the condition that the uh the area has to be simply connected, and by simply connected we mean not having holes in it. Yeah. That's what it means for two yeah. D things. Then you get something where it's possible to turn around, which has measure zero, which essentially means it has uh, an area that tends towards zero. I was going to make a joke about turning a needle around in a manga sponge earlier, and I totally yeah. and I totally didn't. Yeah. yeah. Well, this this is what's going on. I don't know. I love this sort of thing. Surprising yes. Well, results. but that actually is 
because it's kind of like a path, right? Like it has width for as long as it has a finite number of points to turn around in. But as it gets to infinity, the it's barely turning at all. So essentially, the area that it tracks just becomes mi- minimally small. So it therefore becomes a path, and between a path, there's an infinite amount of space. So yep. the area is zero. So that, that that makes sense to me. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Amazing. Related to think Moses worm, M O S E R. The idea is, you've got some curves, which are length one. You have all of the curves which are length one. All of the possible curves. <laughs> yeah. What's the smallest area that you could fit them all in? And ooh, by, ooh, these curves ooh, could be like. Oh. Yep. Is it? If you imagine a sine wave, the top and the bottom of it. Uh. Kind yeah. of, it kind of looks a bit like a muscle. Kind of ovular, but pointy at both ends. Can I can I look? Yeah. Yes, that's exactly what I thought it would look like. Like a lens shape. Yes, like a lens shape. Yeah, it's that kind of thing. It looks like an eye. Again, this is an unsolved problem. It's just a bound that we. Oh, got. really? It's not. It's not some nice, nice curve. No, it's it's defined numerically. Mm. Sorry. It's yeah, this is a big class. It, what this says to me is that all these problems are really difficult. That they're all unsolved, but they're they're famous, famous unsolved problems. They're the sort of thing that go up on posters in maths classrooms. Yeah. Do you remember zero knowledge proofs? I do. You do. I just thought we would do a little grab bag of smaller examples of zero knowledge proofs. Yeah, let's and do it, this. just little brain ticklers. It's not really anything to solve or anything like that. It's it's just I just thought that they're interesting. So. Okay. Um, I was looking through motivating examples of, of zero knowledge proofs. To start, there's one that's kind of in the category of keep doing it again and again and again, and then eventually I'm convinced that you know. Um, okay. And so there's two examples of these. So the first is the it's called the Mystic Cave. So imagine two people. Uh, let's say it's me and you. Yep. Okay. So the cave is circular. So it's just this. It's a torus. Okay. And and there's a door that's like the entrance to it sticking out the end. Right, so it's like a torus, as in the rock around it is like a torus. The empty space is a donut. Okay, so there's like a column in the middle. It's a ring-shaped cave, and there's an entrance corridor, so it looks a bit like a magnifying glass, I guess. Yep. And you're standing in the at the door of the entrance corridor. Okay. And then behind the central column, where you can't see, is yep. a mystic door. It's a magical door. Okay. And the door only opens if you say the password to the door. I claim to you that I know the password to the door. Okay. Uh, and I'm going to prove to you that I know the password to the door. And and so this is how this is done. So you close your eyes. Yep. I take either the left-hand path or the right-hand path to get to the door. Yep. So are we both at the entrance at the start? We're both at the entrance at the start. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and then you open your eyes and you can't see me. And then you shout come from the left or come from the right I say the password to the door and then I emerge from the direction that you want me to okay so the door was blocking you from going around the ring it, well, the door blocks you from going around the ring you can only go around the ring if you know the password to the door got it okay and so you say come out to my left yeah and then I come out to your left and then you close your eyes I go hide again you open which your eyes which would have you'd have been unable to if you'd happened to be on the opposite side yes um but there was a half chance that you were on the right there was side a half team. chance, yes. And so we do okay. it again. And we do it again. And we keep doing it until you are finally convinced that it has not been coincidence this whole time. Yes. Okay. I see. Yeah. 
So that's in this sort of category of, of um, proof by exhaustion, almost. Which, if we think back to the Sudoku one before, would be hard to do in that way. Right. There's no exhaustion method available. A very similar one is to do, and um, we can use us for this again, because one of them involves, because it involves colour blindness, uh, which I am to some extent. Uh, probably not enough to actually do this example, but let's imagine that it's me again. So there are two billiard balls. One is red and one is green. Okay. Better example for me would be blue and purple. Let's use red and green. And they look the same to me. Same colour. But to yep. you, they look different. And uh, I, I want you to prove... I think I can see where this is going. That... I can tell the difference between those two balls. Yes. And so I, I, I hold them in my hand. I put them behind my back. And I either switch them or I don't switch them. I bring them back. And you, t- and you say whether I've switched them or not. And you, we do, we keep doing that again and again and again until you get it right enough times in a row that I'm like, okay, maybe there is a difference. So I know when we test animals for whether they can see colours. So I, I remember seeing something about um, an octopus and they were testing whether it could see colour. And they would put food, they had three boxes of different colours, and they would always put the food in, say, the red box. But they'd keep moving the positions every day. And again, it could just be a luck which box it goes for. Eventually it works out that it's the red box. So it would go to that one first time every time. There could be luck. But again, once you've done it enough, you can convince yourself that, yes, it, the uh, it's more likely that it can see colour than it would have got this past the kind of significance level. Yeah. Which, it kind of feels a bit like science. Like you have a hypothesis. Well, this is how stats works. That's a branch of maths. I suppose so. Another one along a similar line in the sort of doing things a lot and then eventually being convinced, but this one's not a sort of factor of half thing, is imagine that you had a graph, and by this I mean, you know, nodes and arcs. Yep. I have proven that you can colour a particular graph in with three colours. And so the way I do this is that I draw out the graph and I make five more copies of it. So there's six versions of this. Okay. I colour the first one in, red, green, blue. Yep. And then... I colour the other five in with the uh, the permutations of red, green, and blue. Okay, I see. Yep. Um, I take coins and I cover all of the nodes. Yep. It's Because it's the nodes that are things that are coloured. Um, okay. You transform the map into a node and arc graph. Yep. What you then do is you choose an arc and then you reveal the two nodes that are on the other end of that arc. And you check they're different. Yes. You, you take the different colours and then I cover them up again. And then I shuffle the maps. Ah, uh, I see. And then you pick another one, and you check they're different. And then I shuffle yep. the maps again. And so this is something you, you have to keep doing, because, you know, maybe one time it is connected. And yeah, if it was a really big graph, then you want to yep. find that one example. So it's something that, is, again, it's exhaustion, but it's not a factor of a half. You just have to keep going, and you have to keep seeing that these two are not the same colour. And you could check every single arc, because you could pick a particular arc, and then you could show me... All six of them, one after the other. Yes. There is an element of trust that I have just permuted. You don't need to see yeah. every version. Well, I guess you could You could look at every version. You could look at every one. Yeah. And when you then go on to the next arc, you could again look at all six. But you don't know which of those six corresponded with the first arc's six. Yes. So you wouldn't be able to reproduce. Yes. Cool. Yeah. So then you keep doing that until you're, you're sufficiently convinced. I guess you could do every arc, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which, if you're doing it in a computing sort of way, it's fine. Yeah. Like, all of these are applications to computing things, rather than things you'd actually do in real life, right? 
every example anyone will, will ever come up with will be something to do with encryption or something like that, because that's just the types of people that think about this kind of thing. Which is what made the Sudoku example so nice, because it's something that's just in everyday life. So I guess this is the last one I'm going to do then. Oh, there's two here. So let's say that you and I have come up with a secret number, and let's say that that secret number is between 1 and 50. Okay. Um, how can we prove that we have the same secret number to each other, um, you know, that we've remembered the secret number after 10 years or so, or something like that, using only a deck of cards and a brown paper bag? And we're trying to not reveal the number to the other person. Yes. In case they've forgotten it and you don't want them to remember. Yes. You're proving it's a proof of friendship that they've remembered the uh, they've remembered the number. So I'm thinking that probably both people put a card in the bag, and then you shit the bag, and you uh, you check if they're the same. Well, there's only one oh. deck of cards. Okay. Is it what remains of the bag of cards, which is the interesting thing? No. Oh, that's the same information, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know. So what you do is uh, the first person shuffles the deck of cards. Puts it in the bag, peels for the, let's say it's like 32, that's, that was the secret number. They take cards off the top until they've got to the 32nd. They take that chunk of the deck out of the bag. They show it to the other person. It's the, yep. it's the four of clubs. And they put that chunk of cards back in, back on top of the deck. Uh, and then the other person, without looking in, puts their hand in, counts the secret number down. Yeah. And reveals the four clubs. Reveals it and would then reveal the four clubs, yeah. Okay, cool. Ta-da, that's how you do that. Now. And then you burn the bag. In case they, like, if they had got it wrong. Uh, the bag is, the bag is uh, a paper and it's got a little plastic window in it. And they, they hold the card up to the little plastic window. And, and while, while they're in the process, you, um, <laughs> you tie their hands such that it's inside the bag. And then, yep. and then if they get it wrong, then you set the bag on fire and their hands. <laughs> um, but they're tied to the bag, so they can't escape. And they run around with the burning bag on their hands. They've got a 1 in 50 chance, haven't they? Yes, they do. The they do. Which I guess is why you would shuffle the deck a bunch of times. You could do it again if yeah. you wanted to be really sure. Yeah. Um, but that one, that one quickly reaches confidence much faster than the, all the others we've talked about. Yeah, um, where they were just a half chance. Just a half time. chance. This one is, uh, is, is you've got an extra two factors of five in there. Well, it's 52, isn't it? So you've got yeah. an extra factor of 13, another factor of two. So, so th- that one's faster. Now let's say that we invite a third person and we still have this ritual of the, uh, of, of the secret number. Okay, so why does this not, not work just the same way? The first person does exactly the same, the second person does the same, then the third person does the same as the second person. Because the third person doesn't know the secret number. Okay, cool. So the third person doesn't know the secret number, also we don't want them to know the secret number. Uh, so we're trying to now keep it, uh, convey it to each other, yep. as one and two, yep. without the other person knowing. Without the other person knowing. Let's do this as a quiz again. So how, how potentially would you go about this? There's no tools this time, it's just people. Okay, so no bag of cards. There's no bags, there's no cards, it's just three people. Because the bag of cards thing, that's still what it's the same, right? Because again, if you destroy the bag afterwards... <laughs> what is it with this destroying the bag? I don't, I, I don't understand what... what because got... the bag contains within it information. Same once we leave the room, good friends, because we've uh, remembered the number 32. Yeah. Then sneaky number three, so Mew comes in. Yeah. And uh, looks in the bag, finds where the four of clubs is, and it's like, aha, 
is 32 cards down. Can't you just shuffle the deck once you're done? <laughs> it, it depends dr- how dramatic you want the uh, the end of your magic trick to be. Oh, yes. I see. Okay. Yeah. No, so this is a, 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 little, a little different. So would this method also work for the case where there were just two of you? This no, is this one very much relies on there being a third person. You're using them to check the other same the secret number, and they're not allowed. They're not allowed to know what it is. I don't know. Okay, so here's how it works. Um, so, person number three is instructed to randomly come up with any number integer. We we know the secret number is thirty-two, um, but we're yep. still we're, we're validating against each other. Um, the third person, Mew, does not know the secret number. And we don't want them to know the secret number. But we tell them to come up with a random number. Let's say they come up with 17. And uh, they whisper their random number to me. Okay. So they whispered 17 to me. In my head, I add 17 and 32 yep. to get 49. I then whisper 49 to you. Okay. Then you subtract the secret number, 32, yep. to get back to 17. Yep. And then you either say 17 out loud, or then you whisper 17 to Mew. And that completes the loop. And then if yep. Mew goes, okay, Alaric has said 17, then we yep. know that all the information was correct, and that the secret number was the same. And at the same time, Mew doesn't know what the secret number is. Yep. And that all Mew's done is said 17 to me, and then you've said 17 to Mew. Yep. yep. I see. Yeah. I like it. Yes. And again, does that one scale up? Imagine you had a group of three friends and you have one person excluded. Yes, yes. If if, if everybody adds it along the way, and then the last ah. person takes off the n minus two times what they think the secret number is, and yep. if it comes back wrong, then we know that somebody doesn't know, but we don't know who. Okay, yeah, I like and, it. And then at that point, you start interrogating by doing subversions of it. Yeah. Yeah. Or, in fact, you just do it um, piecewise to begin with. Yes. Just take every pair of people. But let's say, for example, that that's not possible. Oh, that's too much effort. And you want to do it in one in one swing. Mm. Then you could do it that way. And then if it comes back correct, then that's fine. I wonder if there's a way that you can identify who just got it wrong in one sweep as well. Mm. Maybe if two numbers were whispered? That's just the same as doing the problem twice, right? I guess so. Hmm. No, that was interesting. Yeah. Maybe if you start multiplying. I'm sure some, some listener will let us know if it's possible. And I'm sure it's, it's well-defined enough to know what one swing is on this. Right, yeah. I think if you convey a whole lot of information as you go around, it's very much possible, but it's just the same as doing two things around. Yeah, yeah. So, fine. So there definitely seems to be a difference between ones where you don't have to rely on a system being upheld and then yep. just doing it again and again and again. And ones where there is some degree of reliance on some system being upheld. And you only have to do something once. When we were talking about the Sudoku one, we were talking about zooming out from it and having zero knowledge ways of proving that the main one's method was being upheld. I imagine there'll be equivalents on all of these. Yes. The two fuses problem. You have two, uh, let's say, like lengths of cord. Yep. You can imagine what them as whatever you want, but whatever you'd stick into TNT. And uh, they are lightable, and each of them is guaranteed by the manufacturer to burn for a minute from end to end. However, they're not necessarily uniform. 
So it could be that the first 10 centimeters of it burns really quickly, and then it goes slowly for a patch. Uh, there's no guarantee about it being consistent in its burn rate. The only thing you have is each one from end to end burns for a minute. What you want to do is time out three quarters of a minute. Oh, I actually know this in a different uh, form. I know this puzzle in a different form. Go for it. I would invite the listener to pause now and have a think about it because I'm about to say the answer. So if you don't want to get spoiled, press, press pause, hit that little button on your on your earbuds, whatever it is, and just, just have a think first. Um, it's quite, kind of well known, so I'm kind of expecting a number of you to, to, to know it already. But those who don't, pause now and have a think about how you do this. So I know it as candles. Candles are different burn rates. Um, and so here is the solution. You light one end of one and both ends of the second one. Yes. And when the second one is done, then you light the other end of the first one. Yes. And then that's 45 seconds. Perfect. Ta-da. So the idea here is if you burn them from both ends, you're not sure where the two ends of the flame are going to meet. It, it may not be the middle, but they'll definitely meet 30 seconds in. And so one of them will tell you, by burning at both ends, that's a 30 second clock. The F1, by that point, has already burned 30 seconds worth. So if you like the other end of it, then you've got 30 seconds of it left. Uh, so by burning at both ends, you've got half that. You've got 15 seconds. Yeah, cool. it's good. It's a good. Uh, yeah. It's a good problem. I like it. How are you going to do it with candles? Where are these candles that you could burn at both ends? Yeah, you just light the candle at the other end. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I see. But yeah, it means you can do binary fractions of the time period. Some number over two to the n, where n is the number of fuses. Yes, and it will always. I've been thinking about this lately. It'll always be binary fractions. Um, because this yeah. this applies to genealogy. When someone so says, for "I am," people who have yeah. Uh, two people having the next person and there's no like incest let's 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 make a hard fork into incest here if someone says they're sort of half spanish a quarter italian and a quarter german or something like that yeah that's always a half a quarter quarter someone can never really say i'm a third german and two-thirds spanish or can they so i've been i well so first of all my claim that you can never say you're third whatever because you will only ever be the number on the bottom of any denominator will always be a, a, a power of two and so you can you can tend towards it right you can get you can get super super close you can be yeah. uh you know you could be one six 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 over eight oh nine six or whatever it is whatever that power of two is that begins with eight um and you yeah you could do really well it's isn't it eight one nine eight whatever you, you could get really close but you'll never actually get there now consider the example where you have English grandmothers and Spanish grandfathers, but your Spanish grandfathers are actually the same grandfather. Yeah. That person would be contributing their genes twice as much, though. Yes. Yeah. So it becomes a language problem. It's like, hmm. But yes, you, you will have half Spanish genes and half English genes. I'm I thinking about a, um, a genealogy which goes on an infinite way back. So long into the future, an infinite way into the future. I'm imagining if you had, like, whether you could get something tending to a third. Yes, no, you could, because you get the lineup of all your of all your ancestors, assuming that there's no incest, um, yep. or even then, because they just they just end up people just appear multiple times at the top of the family tree. You line them all up, and then you color them in, and then you get as close to a third as you can. The, the all the lineup at the end. You can even color them yep. left to right. You just right. All those people are English, and all those people are German. Uh, oh, oh, you mean actually like actual tending, right? Yeah, algebraically yeah. tending. 
Yeah, when it gets infinite. It's just geometric series stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so the whole concept of... So the incest side of things, you can reduce down or you can simplify by just making people appear twice on the same chart rather than making the tree look all funny and weird. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there we go. Didn't think I was going to be talking about incest today, but here we are. No, nor did I. You're welcome, audience. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) So, I've got uh, a piece of feedback here from Tom Verdun, who regularly writes into the show. Yep. Um, So, the mastermind thing we were doing last time, we never said what the number was. No. Um, But you'd done some guesses, so there was quite a lot of information there. Uh, Tom Verdun had worked out there were four possible numbers that fit those criteria. Okay. 7309, 7219, 7129, and 7039. So we'd already worked out the first and the last digit. Uh, from those, he suggested that uh, there were there were two which were optimal guesses because if you guessed either of the other two there was a possibility you didn't have the information enough information to work it out on the next go so there were only two that you could pick um, so 7309 or 7039 which would have given a distinct answer for all of the others what do you mean a distinct answer for all of the others so when uh, if you'd have guessed say 7309 and I'd have given you a number. Yeah. There were there would be four possible numbers I could have said, because they would correspond to the four different ones which were left. Right. Whereas, if you'd have guessed one of the others, if you'd have guessed seven two one nine, there was a possibility that I would say a number which would have corresponded to two different ones. Oh, I see. This is why I I really like the list, the lists getting shorter thing. Yeah, because you can map this is the you shortest. About computer uh, learning. Yeah, you can map the shortest distance. Because does that? Yeah. How many guesses did I do? So I did one, and then another, and then another. So that was three. Oh, this is still five, though. This is still. Yeah. This is still the same as the. Uh, yeah. yeah. So out of these two possible ones that he could have guessed, which were optimal, he said he put in his guess as seven three oh nine, because he reasoned that humans are inbuilt to pick things like 7-3 next to each other in a kind of number bond sort of way. That's just pleasing. It adds up to 10. Right. Rather than 7039. So he put in his guess as 7309. And he was right. Hooray. <laughs> Good logic, Tom. Good logic. Um, I am human infallible. I didn't use a random number generator to generate these numbers. Totes should have. 7, 3. These are the numbers that look random, right? Yeah, yeah. Think um, of a random number. 6. <laughs> it's... It's a good exercise to do with a stats class. Yeah. You get them to write down like 10 numbers from 1 to 100, and then you uh, plot them, and you just get these peaks at 37 and 73. Yeah. Um, <laughs> humans. Um, Fools. I think that's pretty much it. That is that is pretty much it, because this has come out so quickly after the last one. Um, yep. So, next episode, there may be a ba- bit of a backlog, um, because there'll be two episodes worth, two and a, one and a half episodes worth of time. Yep. Um, especially because we're actually we're recording this uh, only about two or three days after we released the last one. So, yep. Um, <laughs> so we'll get to you. We'll get to you if you if you yeah. We'll get yep. to you.
Good. Well, well, that was the episode. Um, for new listeners, uh, this is what we do at the end: is we uh, we go through the problems that we talked about and we discuss how satisfied we were with the conversation. So the first thing we did was what? Uh, we did the sofa moving problem. Yes. In particular, the pole around a corner thing. I'm a little mad that you brought up the sofa moving problem because it was the type of thing that I knew about and could have brought up at some point. Um, mm. But that's okay. That's okay. I will continue <laughs> to contribute one thing to each episode. And you will continue to contribute two. And then uh, eventually we'll... Um, eventually I'll run out. Yeah, we'll complete maths. We will complete maths. Hooray. Right. How satisfied were you with this... With this uh, with what we did uh so messed up the trig a couple of times along the way yes but, but I edited that one out there. I edited that out no one yeah <laughs> there's, there's so, a good listeners, painful 15 we... minutes of Alaric <laughs> completely ballsing up the mats and then going back yeah yeah I, I'll go back and find where all those phantom solutions came from yeah uh, well yeah. We, we ended up you ended up accidentally finding the maxima instead of the minima well, that, that's what it should do. It should find them as well. Yeah. Um, but it just wasn't finding the right ones. Yeah, you got 0 degrees and then 90 degrees, and then there was no 45 to be found. Yeah. yeah. Found 180 with one of my solutions as well, which, <laughs> fine. Yeah, that works. <laughs> that's just it go the other way around. Yeah. Um, no, I, I like talking about some of those problems. I find the uh, Kakiyana's uh, needle bizarre in its solution. Uh, it really is worth looking at the picture of that one if you buy a computer, listeners. Uh, it's just interesting. We'll put it in the show notes. Sure. Um, seven. Hmm. Um, did we actually solve anything? Yeah, we did a little bit. Yes, yeah. we did. Yes, and I like how ugly it was. So I'm going to I'm going to give <laughs> it an eight. And like that was enough information to work out it actually moving through a three D uh, corridor as well. Because we mentioned the whole Pythagoras thing. Uh, yes, a 3D corridor. Um, yes, and a variable height. You just replace one with H. Yeah. yeah. And then the next thing we did was... Oh, just a random assortment of zero-knowledge proof stuff. Yeah. Glad I managed to turn a couple of them into sort of like, well, what would you do type situations? Um, yeah. What They're do you interesting. Think? Yeah. Yeah. That's about... Um, that's about... Zero-knowledge is pretty exhausted at that point. Um, there's not much more. Um, okay. In terms of layman stuff... You start getting into some pretty hard crypto cryptography. Okay. Um, after that, yeah. It, it was good. I all of them are interesting concepts. Yeah. And they're nice little puzzles to think about. Yeah. Eight. Um, I'll just give it a four. Okay. Yeah. I don't have to. I, I don't suppose have, none of it was new to you. Yeah. No. No. I don't have to justify myself. <laughs> <laughs> and then the two fuses puzzle. One. Because you already knew it. I just knew it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Two. Yeah. I wanted something quick after all the time we spent on the uh, rotating stuff around corners. Yes. Yeah. Cool and good. Well, thank you very much for joining us, listeners. Uh, and uh, you're you're welcome for an episode so quickly. Again, apologies for the last one. What do you want to do? Last episode, we we packed all the links into the uh, into like post saying goodbye, and I thought that was pretty good. Do you want to do that again this week? Okay, sure. Good. Well, in that case, all that's left to do is to say that please reach out uh, if you have anything to say, because we basically just sort of mention all of it. And um, we'll see you next time. Bye, bye, Alex. Goodbye, Alex.
Odds and Evenings is an independent production by Alexander Mail and Alaric Stephen. You can find us online at oddsandevenings.com, where you can reach us via the contacts page. You can also find us on Twitter at, at oddsandevenings, and you can also find Alex there at, at speakmouthwords. Alaric can be found in your local pub drinking desperados, provided they serve it there. Intro and outro music by David Russell 323 on YouTube, editing by Alex. If you like the show, please consider sharing us with your matzy friends. If you like it, there's a good chance they'd like it too. See you next time, everyone. Feedback? Yes. What do we got? Right. Sorry. So... <laughs> no, I don't know. Let's do that properly. <laughs>